This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This podcast is sponsored by Monarch Money. Are you saving to reach your financial goals? Reaching those goals isn't just about getting more money, but by managing what you have. And the best way to manage your money? Monarch Money. Monarch Money is a new kind of finance app that's intuitive, powerful, ad-free, and takes the headaches out of budgeting. Try it free when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. Monarch puts all your accounts, investments, transactions, and finances at your fingertips. With a complete view of your finances, you'll gain insights on your spending and find new ways to save. Plus, Monarch lets you customize your dashboard, collaborate with your partner, set custom budgets and goals, and track your progress toward them. See why Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and loving it, and why the Wall Street Journal named Monarch Money the best budgeting app overall. Get a 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H money.com slash podcast for your free trial. monarchmoney.com slash podcast. Take a deep breath. Relax. Inhale through your nose. And exhale through your mouth. Sit back and close your eyes. Gradually release the tension, starting from your toes, working up your legs to your pelvis, and from your fingertips, slowly up your arms to your shoulders. The Stacking Benjamins Show, no matter how bad it gets, is your favorite podcast. I will count backwards from three, and when I snap my fingers, you'll be overcome with delight at hearing the start of this episode. Three, two, one. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's The Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and today we're fixing everything around the house. Like we're going to fix that leaky faucet in the upstairs bathroom, we'll clean the screen door on the porch, and we'll also all pitch in with 25 ideas to help you fix your 401k. Plus, the English are about to clean boot Carnival Cruise Lines and EasyJet out of the FTSE. That's the uh, FTSE 100 index. Are British people mean or is this a good thing? We won't comment on the former, but the guys will have lots of thoughts on the latter. And of course, we'll also toss out the Haven Lifeline to AJ, who's wondering about buying some clean, beautiful property in Idaho. And now, two guys who never learned how to clean up their act. It's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. Do you think uh, Doug means axe like axe? Like we've never cleaned up our axes from chopping down trees? hey Welcome to oh, Wednesday. Strong. Strongman Day. I'm Joe Salci. I average show money on Twitter and the guy across the card table with me who left his axe outside the door. And it's so dirty. Mr. OG. I don't even know what to do with that information now. Uh, it's just gone, man. Just absolutely Nothing gone. Nothing witty whatsoever to add. We got a great show today, OG. We're talking about fixing your 401k. And what a good time, by the way, to open up the hood on that thing. Yes. Open up the hood and dig in and uh, see if we can maybe come out here an hour later with a much better 401k. You know how you get under the hood and the engine's not running well and then you get done an hour later and it sounds awesome? 
I got to say. I've never had that experience ever in my life. I have never had that happen either. In fact, I've got a battery in that cheap car I bought last year. We moved to Michigan. I didn't drive the car for six months. Thing won't start. I was told my battery was uh, bad. So I went and just got a new battery, hoping it wasn't the start of the alternator. Still can't get the thing to start. So uh, more fun there. But. OG and I might not be great with cars, but we're great at fixing your 401k. But first, we got some headlines. So let's get this party started. All right. Our guest today is uh, Shia. Something a little different, OG. Normally, here we'd introduce you to a person or a concept that we like. However, Today we had a headline, but it was such a big headline that we wanted to spend our time. We normally have a guest on helping you fix your 401k. So today you're stuck with OG and I for the entire episode. And this, this comes to us from GoBankingRates.com. If you want to follow along, head to StackyBenjamins.com and uh, hit up the show notes page for today. But it's written by John Cesar, 25 ways to fix your 401k before it's too late. Now let's talk about first, OG, this idea of before it's too late. While I agree with the sentiment that there's no day like today, I think there is some good news here, which is uh, there isn't a deadline. If your 401k is broken, you should work on it right now. The opportunity exists for lots of mistakes. And also, this is where people will get in trouble from a taking advantage standpoint. If you're under the impression that something needs to happen right away, then there's an opportunity to be taken advantage of. I had a plumber in my house working on some stuff, and he went up in our attic. Our attic has our water heater, and he said, hey, by the way, I said, I know the water heaters. He goes, no, let me tell you about them. They're 10 years old. Here's the corrosion, blah, 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 blah. He's like, listen, it could last another five years. It could last five more minutes. I have no idea. He wasn't really pushing us, but he wanted to make sure he got the quote in. You know what I mean? Like, like he's like, let me run out to my car. I said, why don't you just give me a card? He goes, I'll, I'll do you one better. I'll give you a quote. I wonder if he could tell that I was like, I, I get it. I know. We'll take a look at it or not. But if you do that with your money and you don't recognize that it doesn't actually have to be done today, very few things from a financial standpoint have to be done this very second. You know, you have the opportunity to take advantage of, so... Go slow, but go. Amen. At the beginning of this piece, it says, although some improvements to your 401k plan can only be made by your employer, there are definitely steps you can take to improve your own personal account. If you don't like your 401k, we've talked about this a lot in the past, uh, people suing their 401k. Sometimes, OG, you just work for a little company and they don't have a lot of resources to manage the 401k, so they outsource it, maybe not some great people. But I think, I think especially in a little company, making your voice heard if you don't have a great 401k is, is job one. And obviously, do it in a polite, I want to help way. Don't do it sure. in a, I'm going to come unglued at everybody, mm-hmm. and I'm never bringing cupcakes again if you don't fix the 401k. Don't do that. And I think the other thing to recognize, too, is that there's a lot of work that goes into the 401k. People people think about it like, oh, it's just a collection of mutual funds or ETFs and why the heck is it, you know, why, why is it got to cost all this money? Well, you got to remember there's federal documents that have to get filed, tax return information that has to get filed. There's a lot of our man hours involved in terms of record keeping and, and signing off on the fact. And most of the time, if it's not a solo plan, you have a third party that's doing that. And guess what? Those those third-party professionals are professionals. And they're not going to just willy-nilly sign their name to a document that they're not sure of is accurate. So they cost money. And if you're talking about a plan that's at a few employees and a few hundred thousand dollars of assets, there's just a flat cost that that's going to be. And sometimes the employer covers it. Sometimes the employer spreads it out across everybody. And frankly, one of the ways that makes it a little bit more tenable for employers is when they can share some of that cost with the employees by using some extra costs or internal costs on the products and things like that. On that side though, OG, we have seen in some of our FinTech segments that uh, price tags are coming down on, on 401k oh, plans. And there's absolutely, 
Yeah. If somebody has one that's really expensive out there that are starting to specialize in how to synthesize this a lot faster and make it a little bit easier for people, I'm not excusing it by any stretch of the imagination to say, Hey, you should have a plan with 2% funds and be okay with it. I'm just saying that could be the reason. The other reason that happens quite often, which probably is more the case now is the plan was set up 15 years ago when that was the norm. Here's the thing about bankers and uh, 401k managers. They're quite reticent to remind you that you're overpaying. <laughs> you mean when you get a paycheck, you are uh, disinclined to tell people that the paycheck might be a little fat? Yeah. yeah. Maybe. I mean, it just is. Do your own due diligence. Sometimes that's a responsibility. A lot of time, I guess a lot, that's a responsibility of the product company a lot of it's the responsibility of the business owner and some of it's to the employees as well. But remember what was the cost structure when it got started and 15 years ago, it might've been fine, but now it would be woefully off. And quite often a phone call to the product company or the provider reminds them of the value in your relationship. Maybe they would be inclined to uh, revisit the the pricing structure. Might take a look-see as mom says. We have 25 of these to go over. We'll spend uh, uh, some time on... four minutes on each one? On, on, on quite, a f- uh, quite a few of them. Some of them are easy and we can just brush past. But the first one is really a big one, OG, that I think not enough people do, and that's to rebalance regularly. Well, I think you have to define regularly. And I would say probably the other side of that is more... Oh, gosh, I don't know. I wish I had the stats on this, but... There is no statistical evidence for anything more frequently than once a year being effective. If it makes you happy to do it twice a year, fine. If it makes you happy to do quarterly, fine. If you're trying to do something more frequently than that, you're market timing. And you're just trying to dress it up and make it look like, but it's rebalancing. No, you're market timing. But you're right. I think think it does happen a lot where you just set it up and don't think about it for 15 years and market forces being what they are, all of a sudden your portfolio is out of whack or God forbid you've been putting money in your fixed income fund for the last 15 years, unbeknownst to you. And then finally somebody points out that you should be getting more than 3% a year on your portfolio. And, uh, you know, you've got no one to blame on that, but yourself. Rebalancing for people that don't know what this is, uh, works how, Well, effectively, what you're doing is putting a system in place that allows for an automatic selling of the high stuff and buying of the low things. Investment trading is different than every other thing in the entire world in that when something goes up in your investment portfolio, you want more of it. Hey, I bought Amazon at 1,000. Now it's worth 2,000. How much more can I get? I want more. Because that's the good one. That's the better one, yes. And this other thing that I bought that was 2000 is now 1000 and I don't want any more of that. And so effectively, what do you do in that? You buy high and end up selling low, and that's, that's the exact opposite of how you want to do this. So when you have a rebalancing plan, what you do is you say, okay, I've got four funds. Each one of those are 25% of my portfolio. I'm going to allow them to wiggle around. Some days it'll be one will be at 26%, one's going to be at 24 and that's perfectly fine. And you give yourself some wiggle room, maybe 20%. So you say, I'm at 25, I'll let it go to 30, and I'll let it go to 20. But if it goes above or below those numbers, then we've got a problem. And it just affords you the opportunity to have a system in place for saying, hey, this thing now represents 32% of my portfolio. It's over what I wanted it to be. It's 7% above where I wanted it to be. So I'm going to sell that thing that's gone up high. So I'm selling high. And now I'm going to turn around and buy the thing that's now at 18% of my portfolio. And I'm buying more of the stuff that's low. And if you do that systematically over time, you smooth out the ride of that kind of ups and downs of your portfolio or have the opportunity to do that anyway. And there are all kinds of charts that show this reversion to the mean OG, meaning asset classes aren't hot forever. And that's the key to this whole thing is that just because international funds have been on a roll for X number of years, let's say, doesn't mean they're going to stay there. And that thing that's been the dog is not going to be the dog forever. Well, and we see that right now with the U.S. large companies market and specifically in technology stocks. I mean, goodness, take a look at the last 12-month return of the NASDAQ versus the S&P and then compare that against the rest of the markets. I mean, 
it's very difficult to tell somebody, hey, I know this thing is up 20% and the rest of your money is up five or down six or whatever, but you should sell it because you're going, wait, no, no, this is the winner. I got to keep the winner. But if you have it systematically and you do it, like I said, once a year is more than adequate, it removes that ambiguity and the decision-making and instead makes it a system and takes it away from trying to market time and all that sort of stuff. You know, this idea of rebalancing presupposes that you know what the balance is, right? Which brings up our second, our second one, which is reconcile your investment objectives and your risk tolerance. And the place that I can't stand that most people start when it comes to their retirement plans is with one of these silly retirement plan quizzes through work. And it's not that they're dumb by themselves. It's that that's generally the first thing that people see. They don't see, hey, what goal are you trying to achieve? They see, hey, how much risk you want to take? And there's a lot of people that get into these, get into a 401k plan, and they say, well, I don't like taking much risk. And they're very safely not doing anything with their money. Well, sure. I mean, think about it this way. If you said, how much risk would you like to take on your next airplane ride? Zero. But you're doing some, you know what I mean? Like you're, you, you've got some sort of risk in everything that you do. You know, the biggest thing with anything associated with risk tolerance is recognizing that you're using the words incorrectly. Risk is a chance of loss. And so what percent do I want to have a chance of loss in my retirement plan? Zero. I don't want to loss in my retirement plan. What are we really talking about when we say risk tolerance? We're talking about the ups and downs, volatility, tolerance for the variability of the numbers. One day it says 100,000, the next day it says 90, the next day it says 110. How much anxiety does that provide for you? The problem is, is that you want the smoothest ride, but you also have the real number to get to. And I think that's your point, which is you have to start with, well, how much darn money do I have to have in the beginning? Because that will tell me how much volatility I got to take. It just It's just a math problem. If I'm committing this amount of capital on a monthly basis and I need to get to this bucket on the back end and I think my money will grow at X percent, then you just have to build the portfolio to make it grow at that rate of return. You don't get to say, well, I want 10, but I don't want the volatility of four because, you know, 10's volatility. It does, I, don't, I don't like the taste of that. Well, then you just don't get the outcome that you want. Well, I mean, I hope people don't take that the wrong way because you can accept four, but, Correct. you know, but back to the Stephen Covey thing, you either have to push that goal back or live on less or you to find a way to save more money to equal what your money would have done that it isn't doing now. Yeah. The way that we do it is we say, okay, here's, here's the end game. Here's what you have right now. Here's the capital that you can commit on a, on a monthly basis to reach your goals. Here's how long you have. We just solve for here's how much here's how fast your money has to grow. And if that number is 9%, then we say, okay, here's the collection of things that generate 9% historically over time. Here's what that means on a day-to-day thing. How do you feel about that? And if they go, well, let's see, to get 10 or 9, I got to be okay with a minus 30. And if I have a million dollars and I woke up in three weeks from now and I had 700,000, I would puke and, you know, be really uncomfortable. Well then, okay, fine. Well, what, where is that? Okay. I can tolerate, I can't tolerate 30%, but I can tolerate 20. Fine. Now you can only get seven and a half percent, not nine. I'm going to need you to save a little bit more money, or I'm going to need you to retire two years later or live on less in retirement. Next up here, a quote from John Vlachogianis, founder of Agent Risk, weighs in on the next one, which is review your options regularly. He says, obsessing over your investment accounts is a one-way street to losing money. (laughs) On the other hand, markets change and evolve and portfolios built 10 years ago might not be relevant today. You should at least reevaluate every year the allocation of your 401k, the fees you're paying, how it fits the rest of your financial portfolio. You agree with the once a year? With, I disagree with most of this statement, actually. Okay. I mean, you're talking about reevaluating the funds on an annual basis. Like, what kind of time period is that in the history of reality? You know, I mean, I get looking at the fees. I understand that. But if you start paying attention to the funds on an annual basis, what are you going to do? What do you search for? And this is my challenge to everybody. When you, you mean, what's your, your end game? Day, what's your end game? What are you trying to do? No, so, here, so when you find something, what are you going to find? Yeah. 
So here's, here's, here's what you do. So tell me, answer me this question. When you log into your 401k company and you're like, hmm, I should look at my funds and they've got them all displayed, right? Every one listed top to bottom. You can toggle by the, do you, do you, how do you search them? Do you search them alphabetically? No. Do you search them, you know, by ticker symbol? No. What do you click on? You click on one year performance. Click. Oh, these are all the good ones. And these are all the bad ones. Oh, I got a little bit of the bad ones. And if you're doing that on an annual basis or God forbid, uh, you know, more frequently than that, what are you doing? It's just market timing. I got a better idea for this though. So instead of that, cause I agree with that study show, everybody does that. Of course. When I say everybody though, I don't mean you. Somebody hands you their 401k statement and says, oh, gee, help me with this. How do you look at their 401k options? Well, I think you have to do it by asset class. So I know that the right allocation might be 25% U.S. companies, 25% smaller companies, 25% uh, international companies, and 25% emerging market. I don't know. I'm just making and, it up. Yeah, let's say that yeah, that's it. yeah. And so we say, okay, 25% that... emerging markets. You mean 75% emerging markets. <laughs> Sorry, my bad. <laughs> Yeah. So it's 75 of the 20. I'm not sure. Anyways. Hey, we go bigger, go home where I'm from, but, um, recently home a lot. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, you might be going home. So you take that out. You take, okay. So I need to have 25% of my money in large U S companies. Let me see the list of large U S companies. And from that list, which there might be two or three or five options, that's where I'm going to pick that position or those positions. Generally speaking, you pick the cheaper alternative that's more of a passive type of strategy, but not all 401ks have that. So now you got to start comparing things like expenses and tenure of the managers. How long have they been doing what they've been doing? The stability of the organization, that sort of stuff. But anyways, you do that with each one of those categories. And then after that, you leave it the hell alone. That's it. Because there's always going to be something that's better and there's always going to be something that's a little worse. That's the nature of the business. But if every time you go, oh, shoot, I picked that fund and I should have picked that one because that one did 2% better last year. It's just, it's just market timing. Set it, rebalance it once a year. If by only choices, and this like is... soap. And this the more is, you touch it, the more it goes away. Yeah. The, uh, I think that, that uh, if you only have active manager choices in your 401k, which I don't think is a thing that much anymore... Um, it is, but, but if you yeah. do, I think you do have to do a quick Morningstar search, look and see, is the fund manager still there? Are they still managing the money the same way? How has the star ranking changed and why has it changed? And I mean, some of that's going to be 201, right? I'm definitely not just choosing the fund that went to five stars. Cause that's what everybody does. Again, for people that know Morningstar, most people just go, Oh, I'm choosing the five star fund. I like looking under the hood and saying, how are the fees compared to everybody else? What types of returns do we have in different types of markets? And there's a 10-year graph that shows you yeah, how the- Yeah, why did I get the returns? Did, did they yeah. happen to hit a home run on one idea that catapulted them to the top? Or are they kind of middle of the road all the time? You know, talk like rank within category. So how do they perform amongst their peers? It's not fair to compare small company funds against emerging market funds. Yeah. It's two different things, two different outcomes. And Morningstar will do that for free. That basic research, you can yep. get that for free. Number four on our list, this is my favorite yeah, one. I know it's- 24 more to I go. know, right? This is my favorite one, your favorite one. Increase your contributions. This is a number one. I love how you do this sometimes, OG. Just, hey, $25 more, you know? Yeah. See if he can do $25 more. If you haven't changed it 1% this year, just hit pause. Then go change your 401k up by 1%, then come back. We'll wait. We will still be here. We're still waiting. As long as you hit pause. If you didn't hit pause, we're not going to be here. We're moving on. Oh. Just saying. Well, we can give people just a few seconds. Okay, here we go. Is that good? Okay, time's up. Yeah. Okay, fine. That's, you should have done it. But do it Do it every six months. Add 1%. The, here's the thing. You won't miss it. Guarantee. Hand to God. Done it a million times. Nobody misses 1%. I don't care what's going on in your life. It's 1%. One teeny tiny uh, amount. Number five on here was maybe the reason why I chose this piece in the first place, because it's sublime. It is one of these things that I think the master financial planners get that a lot of people don't. And that's Ooh, he, right. 
That's to Challenge use accepted. Well, it's to use a portfolio perspective. And what they're talking about here is let's say that your 401k is really strong in large company stock, but not a lot else. Well, don't treat your 401k like it's a standalone thing. Maybe you have a Roth, maybe you have these other investments. Use what the 401k gives you that's best, avoid what's not as good, and then allocate elsewhere around it so that you're looking at your whole perspective, you're looking at your whole portfolio and not just your 401k. This is so difficult for most people to do because it involves insane amounts of discipline because you start comparing again. We're, all this yeah. boils down to human behavior and you start going, well, my 401k is not doing so great, but my Roth IRA is kicking ass. So you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to put more money in my Roth right, now. Right. Like, no dude, the whole thing is supposed to like work together. And it's and because you your Roth it. IRA is tiny and we put all the small cap there and it's through the roof. Yeah. Or whatever the allocation was. But my, my point is, is that if you don't have the ability to look at the household as a whole and say, okay, across the household, how is your portfolio, your household portfolio, yours, your partner's, your brokerage account, the kids 529, like how all this stuff works together, you start evaluating things piece by piece. You know, and you say, well, my 401ks, I, I mean, I hear this all the time. I feel pretty good about my Vanguard accounts, but my uh, 401ks really suck in. Why? Why is it not all working synergistically between one another? Yeah, I don't know why people think that the... there's some magic sauce. Yeah. yeah, it's all money. It's all your money, as a matter of fact. So... Why not make it all work well? That's part of the, as I said, that's part of the problem with the, with some of the uh, platforms that are the uh, kind of automated investing platforms. You go, well, I've got my Roth, my brokerage account, and my IRA, all with insert robo-advisor here, and we're all in the aggressive allocation. So now I've got three of the exact same things in three different places, maybe different dollar amounts because I got different money in each bucket. But that's, I mean, it's better than nothing. But like you said, we high-level professionals that you mentioned. Brilliant, I think was. Brilliant yes. high-level professionals. But no, I mean, when it comes to asset location and specifically, you know, as it relates to thinking just to smidge down the field a little bit, it doesn't take very much to go, well, these things are really great and I can pick up these things outside of that and I can build a household portfolio. This is a great example, I was going to say, for partners. I've got a really great 401k. My My spouse has an okay 403b but it's got one really good thing in it rather than you know trying to make a we call that a sandwich with the 403b yeah i take the one thing that's good and allocate around it it's, yeah it saves you money and you know you got one position to keep track of you're not trying to keep track of 32 things of which 31 of them suck so much better Number six on this list, and, and we don't need to go into this one too much, but don't touch it early. Go back and listen to Monday's show. We discussed that in detail there. I know some people have to touch their 401k or their retirement fund early now, but it should be your last, last spot. Number seven, invest regularly. Here's what I like about the 401k and people that aren't investing in their 401k right now. The magic here, OG, is that it gets taken out of your paycheck. And so yeah. you're putting a little bit in all the time. And for many people that you've met with, I'm sure it's like they, they don't miss it after a while. It's just, it is it's a 1% thing. It sucks at first, but just do it and it'll be okay. The piece reads, some of your contributions go in when the market's high, while others go in while the market's low. But over time, they're going to average out and be somewhere in the middle because you kept going. Number Hashtag math. Number eight, and this is the problem that people have is they see that number get bigger. People that watch it too much, number eight on the list of ways to fix your 401k, don't pull out during downturns. Your 401k won't get pregnant with more money if you pull out. It's so challenging. I mean, you see the balance, it was 100, then a week later it's 90, a week later it's 80, a week later, it's 70. A week later, it's 65. Everybody in all the news says the end is near. You can't do it. You just have to stay the course. It is easy to leave it in and uh, watch it go down 10%. And actually, it's not easy, but I'll tell you, it's easier. If you have $10,000 
and it goes down 10%, you lost a thousand. But if you're at a hundred thousand dollars, you lose $10,000. And if, by the way, you're, you're at retirement and you've done a number and you've saved a million dollars there, you lost a hundred thousand dollars. So when we speak in percentages all the time, I think it does a disservice to how hard this is. I think it's much more yeah, when I the mean, market really is. market goes down 30% and you save $3 million, you just lost 900 grand in 17 days. Bam. So it's hard to say like, actually, you know what? This is perfectly normal. I'm going to back the truck up. It's going to be fine. It'll be all right. Yeah. It's painful, you know, but, uh, Sorry, Charlie. If you don't get to pick the top, you don't get to pick the bottom. So The other reason I chose this is for every eight brilliant ones, there's always the one that we go, mm-mm, so close. Number nine, reduce risk as you approach retirement. Not true. Yeah, false. This is probably the biggest issue with with retirement planning overall, except for the behavior of the previous one, which is I'm going to take all my money out, you know, when the market goes down a little bit or whatever. The problem with being more conservative, the closer you get is it takes you longer to compound your money that way. And when is the last opportunity for your money to double and you want it to happen several times. And so if you're 55 and your portfolio is invested in all stocks and you're shooting for a 10% average return per year, we can know with pretty reasonable certainty that between 55 and your 62nd birthday, that money will double. Somewhere around there. 62nd birthday, 63rd birthday, somewhere in there. But if all of a sudden you said, hey, I'm 55, I'm getting close to retirement, I want to let off the gas, I'm going to go to 50-50, I'm going to have half my money in stocks, half my money in fixed income. Well, we just took the time for it to double, and added three and a half years on the back end. So instead of it being a seven-year process, not including your contributions, it now takes 10 years to do. And if you continue to get more conservative as those years go on, and you follow that myth of, well, if I'm 56, I should have 56% of my money in bonds, every year you're stretching out that length of time, and you're taking away the last time you have prior to retirement for your money to grow. The real key here is knowing when you need the dollar. Reduce risk around when you need the dollar, not arbitrarily around this date when you might or might not need the money. You don't need it all on your 65th birthday at retirement. And if you do, I want to be at that party. I'm sorry. I do. (laughs) I do. Or maybe I don't want to be at your party because, you know, a little melancholy. You're blowing it all on one day. But Again, it's just so hard to think in the future, and it's so hard to think about the benefits of compounding and more specifically the pitfalls of compounding. You know, we look at pensions and we look at investment plans, and you say, Hey, I've got a million bucks. That should last me forever, except for the fact that milk is five bucks a gallon now, and it used to be a dollar. And in 25 years from now, it's going to be freaking $15 a gallon. And we're all just going to go, Yeah, yeah. I went to the store today, took a 20, got five back, you know, after my gallon of milk. And it sounds ludicrous. Who's going to spend 15 bucks for a gallon of milk? You will in 25 years from now. It's just how it's going to be. Or whatever the equivalent is. You know what I mean? I mean, it's just... Whatever the number ends up being. It's it's hard for us to envision that. Number 10 on this list, roll your 401k over. They actually say here, do not roll it over to your new job, which I think is is important. I mean, whether your new job has good options or bad options right now, they can change those options. And if you lock yourself into the new 401k with all of your money, you're a passenger where you can use this opportunity to either leave it at the old job. If you have, frankly, I don't know if it's better or worse, but just different options so that you have flexibility or roll it over to an IRA where you can do whatever the heck you need to, to get that well-rounded 401k. I can't see why you don't put this in an IRA. I, I guess there's a few circumstances here or there where, Leaving it in the old plan would make sense somewhere around distribution planning, perhaps uh, some different tax planning opportunities. But generally speaking, from an investment perspective, accessibility, ease of use, all of those sorts of things, having it be under your supervision and your control, 
uh, is going to be a lot easier. I will add one thing, however, which is if you do put it in your new plan, most of the time, and I can't I can't say always, but I would say the 99% of the time, you would be eligible to roll that back out to an IRA, even if you were still working there. Your rollover money in could be rollover money out if you chose to do that. So not a life sentence for most cases, but be something you'd want to check on before you did it. Next up, number 11 is to use ketchup contributions. And I'm not talking about ketchup like on your French fries. I'm talking about if you're over 50 and you got a late start OG, you get a reprieve, a chance to put in more, which is nice. I don't think we need to spend a lot of time there. Do more. Yep. Number 12, have your plan reviewed by your financial advisor. I do not like it when you find some of these, and it's mostly a commission-based advisor who talks about my money that I'm managing for you and everything else. I think you got to be able to look at it like it's a full portfolio, don't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've talked about that already. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Number 13, don't rely on target date funds. Go back to last Hallelujah. week. I got to tell you, we're at number 14. We've had a problem with one of these. Pretty, pretty good one piece. That's true. Number 14, don't own too much company stock. Hmm. Hashtag Enron. You think there's people young enough here that they don't know that Enron? Countrywide? That's still 2007. Okay, fine. Um, Forever 21. Didn't they go bankrupt soon or recently? Neiman Marcus. JC Penny. JC Penny. was the uh, J Crew uh, Pottery Barn? No, it's the Pier One. Pier One. Um, yeah, five percent, guys. Five percent is a good number on your company stock plan. Well, and here's what they did. You know, because of all these companies, the older ones, you know, used to get your company match in company stock, and they could prevent you from selling it because of Enron. And because of all the other malfeasance with all the other ones, they actually made it illegal to do that now. They can give you your company's match in for, in stock, but they can't limit your trading. So you're eligible to trade out of it. There are some very cool benefits to having company stock in your 401k, some really awesome tax benefits. But generally speaking, I only see that for people that are closing in on retirement right now, not people who are in the process of accumulation. Because if you're in accumulation mode, you shouldn't be having any more than 5 or 10% of your money. Think of it. Your livelihood is tied up in this company. Your insurance is tied up in this company. Your benefits program is tied up in this company. Now you're going to tie your retirement plan to this company too. And that doesn't mean you can't own a lot of it. It means that as your net worth grows, you'll own more and more. Co- if, if you stick with a percentage of 5%, you will still grow. Then you'll have a bigger and bigger dollar number as your portfolio grows. So yep. you, you can own more. Just grow the rest of it. Number 15 don't overtrade. Uh, Fidelity, I think, had that study of their 401k plans where the people that did the best were the dead ones. You know why? They never traded. They never traded. Yep. <laughs> so good. Number 16, maximize your tax benefits. Man, if you're younger, I think choosing that Roth 401k option looks pretty good. Uh, what do you think, OG? Yeah, absolutely. And 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 if you happen to be kind of in that wiggle zone of like right at a tax bracket, especially a higher one. And you can, you know, choose between putting some of your money in the pre-tax side and some of your money in the Roth side, just put enough in the pre-tax side to drop you into that lower marginal bracket. So you're saving that excess taxes on the, on the bigger money and put the rest in the Roth side, a little bit of combination plan. Number 17 we covered with making consistent payments is taking advantage of automation. I mean, clearly with your 401k, you're taking advantage of the fact that, uh, in theory, you should be paid every every so often. Yeah, yeah. Taking advantage of automation. Uh, and by the way, don't just do that with your 401k. Do that with all your investments. If you have to think about writing a check, you're doing it wrong. Find something, like as an example, uh, cut your cable bill, maybe say 50 bucks. Automatically automate that 50 bucks so you capture it. And now at the end of the year, you captured $600, not just a one-time 50 Number 18, go to your annual meeting. That's the meeting where they talk about the 401k plan and what's going on. It's more of a sales meeting, FYI. But I still think that having some interest in in how it all works and what's going on with your 401k, good stuff. Number 19, avoid high-cost investments. You can look for those at Morningstar.com. It's a good place to go through and look at what your investments charge. Theoretically, OG, they give you that big, fat book. But uh, I think that big, fat book they give you is good for nap time. Kindling. 
Oh, that'll keep a fire burning for hours. Last five are improvements that your employer can make. So the first 20 were you. The last five are your employer. Number one, they can reduce program fees. Number two, they can increase the investment options. I don't know if that's a great idea. Yeah, well, usually you end up having extra costs the more options you have, plus you get decision fatigue. So more doesn't mean better, but definitely paying attention to the cost structure is important. Number three is instituting a loan program. Not a big fan of uh, loans. This thing's going off the rails here at the end. I was so excited. Number, you know, it's kind of part of the deal. Number four, increase your company match. There you go. A push for that. And then number five was to offer a Roth 401k. Good stuff. I'm going to add one, which, which you don't see very often, but I would love to see more, especially for people who are able to do it. You know, we talk about putting money in as you're able to, right? Some people get paid bonuses in the first quarter and say, hey, I'd love to put money in my 401k and just max this thing out and be done with it for the year. But I have to spread my contributions out throughout the year. Otherwise, I don't get my match the entire year. I've seen some companies that do this and most don't, but it would be a great addition to most 401k plans is just match your employees' contributions based on how much money they put in throughout the year. Don't do it every week and say, well, if you didn't put money in this week, you don't get a match. If I max my mine out because I got a $20,000 bonus on yeah. January 3rd and I decided to put that all in my 401k, I should be rewarded for it just that. just seems cheap. It's Well, it's a program limitation and it's not sure. very difficult to like adjust that. So if you're a business owner and you're listening or somebody that has some influence on business owners, that would be a good pickup if you're able to get that done. Great piece here from Go Banking Rates. And by the way, if uh, you'd like to go back and read through that, we'll have it on our show notes page at stackybenjamins.com. Hey, trivia fans. As Joe's mom likes to call it, I'm your quarantine trivia host, neighbor Doug. When all this social distancing started, I was planning on taking my first real break in years. You know me, I'm never one to just laze about. It's go, 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 go all the time. Well, Joe's mom crushed all of those hopes. Doug, go clean the baseboards. Doug, go clean out the fireplace. Doug, go clean up those Cheetos you spilled all over the floor. God, when does it end, lady? While I go upstairs and fake an injury, I'll leave you with today's trivia. Question is, what famous American initiated the first street sweeping service in the U.S. in 1762 with an act regulating the pitching, paving, and cleaning of the streets of Philadelphia? I'll be back faster than you can take out the trash. Well, it's two guys that not only make a podcast, but we listen to a podcast. I've got to say that wearing good earbuds, completely something I obsess about. And I know, OG, you do too. I prefer mine for music. You know, things like uh, the Jazzy Gals when they come on <laughs> when they come on my Spotify playlist. You got to have that. Uh... that. The music you listen to is just like you come down and sit down across the card table and if I get here, well, well, let's just tell everybody what, let's pull the curtain back a little bit. If you get here before I get here, I always tell you to turn off your music. And when you, when I get here before you get here, what do you tell me? What kind of crap are you listening to? <laughs> every, every time. Like, oh, how, how bad is this? But I if you're... eclectic <laughs> style. I listen to everything except the crap you listen to. My my style is awesome. I can't figure out what you listen to. We have it a few songs. You played some Eminem for me recently that I hadn't heard that was pretty good. By the way, that was a Beastie Boy song from like the 2009 album I had never heard before, and it was uh, it was um, on my Spotify Discover Weekly. Fantastic, just amazing music. I want to watch. Now, who are these the Beastie Who's? That's the Beastie What? Beastie Huh? Never heard of them. Well, whether you're making podcasts, working from home, working from your mom's basement, or working on your fitness, you want what you're listening to to be what you're listening to, not what mom's listening to or Doug's listening to or that crap OG listens to. And to do that, everybody needs a great pair of wireless earbuds. Like how I did that? 
But before you go dropping hundreds of dollars on a pair, you got to check out these earbuds I'm holding in my hand. Wireless earbuds from Raycon. Now, you already know that Raycon earbuds started about half the price of any other premium wireless earbuds on the market and that they sound just as amazing as other top audio brands you know. The newest model, my model, the Everyday E25 earbuds, best ones yet, six hours of playtime. I got to tell you, I generally go to bed with earbuds. Subliminal messaging. I like it. I do. It's this message going. A little Tony Robbins in the, you're good enough <laughs> and you're smart enough. And people and like you. It, people like you. <laughs> I went to bed with these and uh, six hours, six hours of battery life. So um, I'll give you my personal story on this. The only thing I listen to to go to bed is only if I have to take a nap or I have to go to sleep during a period of time where I normally wouldn't go to sleep. Because if it's 10 o'clock at night, I'm out anyway. It doesn't, you know, a freight train could literally plow through my bedroom. I'm like, nope, 10 o'clock, I'm out. But if I have to take a nap, if we've got a late night or we have an early, you know, I have an early morning and then I've got to have a late night and I got to take a little nap. That sounds super old, right? Like <laughs> totally during the day. <laughs> In my so, rocking chair. Yep. So earbuds, Spotify playlist of thunderstorms. Oh, see, I, I used to do I'll that. Light. I used to do the 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 river thing, you know. Now you gotta have the, the rolling you river, the thunder, and the lightning. Yeah. yeah. So these these new ones that I have right here in my hand, the everyday E twenty five earbuds, best ones yet. Six hours playtime, seamless Bluetooth pairing. By the way, it's super easy. More bass. I love that. More compact design gives you a nice noise isolating fit. Their wireless earbuds so comfortable, perfect for conference calls or for binging. All the Stacking Benjamins episodes. Game changer for me, OG, was that a lot of earbuds don't fit my ears. And uh, check out these. Change up the size. Sizes. Yeah, yeah. Six I, hours. I've got really big ears. Yeah, you do. For really they're big. Bigger by, they're getting bigger by the minute. For really big listening. <laughs> Unlike some other Wireless options, Raycon earbuds, both stylish, discreet, no dangling wires or stems to distract anybody during video calls. By the way, not a big fan of that. You've heard me talk, you've heard OG and I talk about how the company was co-founded by Ray J and celebrities like Snoop Dogg and Melissa Etheridge are obsessed with Raycons. Pick up a pair and see what the hype's all about. Now's the time to get the latest and greatest from Raycon. Get 15% off your order because you're a stacker at buyraycon.com slash SB. That's buyraycon.com slash SB. 15% off Raycon wireless earbuds. Buyraycon.com slash SB. Buyraycon.com slash SB. Bad news, stackers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and sadly, Joe's mom isn't buying my hamstring pull routine. She's added even more chores to my list and just threw some crutches at me. God, God, there's another one. So now I have to clean leaves out of the gutter, and wash the walls with bleach water so they feel clean. Oh, God. Well, I also have to vacuum out Joe's mom's car, organize the baked beans alphabetically in the pantry, and what? Wait! Oh my God, Joe's mom wants me to sand down the corns on her feet? How is that my problem? Have you seen her feet? They look like chimpanzee feet mixed with, I don't know what, like dipped in concrete. Her feet are so ugly, when she stands in a sandbox, all the neighborhood cats come by and try to bury them. I'll tell you, this guy's about to go on strike. But before I do... Here's today's trivia answer. The question was, what famous American initiated the first street sweeping service in the U.S. in 1762 with an act regulating the pitching, paving, and cleaning of streets of Philadelphia? Of course, the answer is none other than the inventor, politician, and founding father himself, Ben Franklin. I tell you what, Ben Franklin's the answer to every trivia question before, like, 1785. He started the first street sweeping service in the U.S. And like Ben helped to sweep away the filth in Philly, I'm going to go sweep away some of these chores. See ya! We're going to head right into the Haven Lifeline, OG. Let's throw out the Haven Lifeline to help people tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, you know what they do? 
They put what you value first, your loved ones and your time. And that's why they've made buying quality term life insurance actually simple. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now to get a free quote. Their application is simple. It's online. You'll get an instant coverage decision, affordable prices, and their policies are offered by Mass Mutual a more than 100 year, more than 160 years, 100 years. How about 160 years? Today, we're throwing out the lifeline to AJ. Say hi, AJ. Hi, Joe and OG. You've helped me in the past when we've met up in Seattle. I'm hoping to get your thoughts on purchasing a property during COVID. A little bit about us. I'm 44. My husband's 47. We make around $400,000 a year with our business, and we have three rental properties. All of our homes are paid for. We have about $800,000 in um, retirement accounts and index funds just randomly selected. And we also have, we fully fund all of retirement accounts. I want to know what you what you think about purchasing a $460,000 property that we would Airbnb. Is it too risky due to COVID? Um, last year, this property was on the market for $540,000. We made an offer of $460,000 cash and we would be airbnb it and someday building a house on it. The property is in North Idaho. So I wanted to see what you thought of the risk. I know there's a risk with everything and you've taught me well, but I'd like to hear what your thoughts are on it. Thank you. Thanks, AJ, and hope you guys are doing well. We had a great time in Seattle at uh, at the meetup and hanging out it's been with a long time. AJ and her husband. Sort of cool meetups. I know. Uh, AJ, we want to come back. Let's have more beers. But uh, uh, what do you think about this idea? Your your first gut feeling. Let's just talk gut feeling first, and you share yours, and I'll share mine. Okay. Yeah. This one. Uh, gut feeling. Barf. Uh, it's like, ugh, mine too. Shiver down my spine. Absolutely. Um, mine, mine too. Like I, I get being greedy when others are fearful and fearful when others are greedy, but, um, talk through number. it. First of all, all cash. I, I guess that means that that money's coming out of the 800 K that she mentioned. Also, by the way, I must add, I love the approach to investment pl- planning. What did she say? A hodgepodge of investments? Randomly <laughs> selected. That's exactly my way of investing also. You randomly select them. Good job. I, I, can't, I can't believe, AJ, that didn't make this tw- list of 25 ways. Yeah. Randomly select them. To make your 401k uh, better. I'm sure she was just a little tongue-in-cheek there. Yes. But, but in any event, um, you know, so I'll just say that maybe maybe that 460 is literally in cash and not part of the 800. And they've been just kind of sitting on it waiting for a good opportunity. The Airbnb thing scares the bejeebus out of me for a million reasons. Also because of the COVID thing, not because of COVID per se, but just the reaction to it. And there's been a lot of news about how that whole industry has started to go sideways in a hurry. So maybe you're maybe you need to get a better offer on the table than 460. Here's where you kind of redeemed yourself at the very, very, very end, though, was and then eventually we'll tear it down and build our own place on the property. This is a pretty expensive piece of land. And maybe you're looking at it from the perspective of, well, either way, we would buy the land. And I would just challenge you to think of it a different way and say, well, why not spend the 460 on the land and dream home already and skip the whole Airbnb crap in the middle? You know, buy the lot next door that's already empty, I guess. I don't know, as metaphorically speaking, and and see if you can pass on all the hubbub that goes with weekly rentals and seasonality and all that stuff. But I'll tell you what, who am I to say three paid for houses and a million bucks in the bank? I don't know. I guess they got something figured out. So I think the right answer is it's risky only if you haven't done your due diligence and you clearly have, and you know your appetite for this. So if you don't think it's risky, then it's not. I I do it as a math equation on return on capital, right? I mean, if if it's a cash deal on four hundred and some thousand dollars, I'm wondering how much money you have to make from the Airbnb to make that a a, a decent return. It seems like that would be a, have to be a fairly high number. You that, gotta be doing forty five thousand a year, right? What, what, what? Well, that'd be for a ten percent return, which would be. 
phenomenal. I mean, but to even get, let's say a six, right. And then I think Northern Idaho, and there certainly are some beautiful areas. A Coeur d'Alene up there is incredible, but I think you got to do some math on realistically, what type of rent are you going to get? And then what's the return going to be after, after your expenses? And I just don't see it being high enough versus other ways to use that capital. It doesn't seem like a phenomenal use of money to me. Now on the other side, like you had mentioned when she said we build on it, well, then throw ROI out of that equation because ROI is damn it. I love it. It's Northern Idaho. It's beautiful. It's where we want to be. Well, in that case though, but what, so, so what are we trying to do in the middle? What we're trying to do is I've got 460 grand. I want it to make some money so that I can eventually build my dream home, right? That's the, those are the steps in the process. Yeah. And so the question is, does the 460 belong in the equity of a property or does it belong in your brokerage account or does it belong in a private equity deal in a coffee shop down the street or you know, any other number of investment opportunities that could be out there for you, where's the best place for it for the amount of time? You're saying, I want to take 400 grand, I want to turn it into a stream of income, and then eventually I want that to stop and turn it into my dream home. Presumably, you're saving that annual income stream from the from the uh, Airbnb to build up to some number so that you can tear the place down and put a bigger house on it, I guess. So why not just do this a much easier way without having to deal with all the craziness that is just a straight up craziness of just managing rentals. And then on top of that, all the additional craziness of Corona. The one thing I do like about AJ is that she has experience already in the rental market. If, if AJ, if this were AJ's first foray, I wouldn't just say, I don't like it and do the math. I would also say, uh, don't do it. Just, just call her partner and be like, AJ's going crazy. I you know. Gotta stop her. You, can't, you can't, you can't do it, AJ. But the only reason I consider it is because AJ and her husband probably have some systems around how they manage those properties already. That yeah, would clearly that, have been wildly successful up to this point. You know what I mean? This is no ordinary dummy. This isn't a, yeah. this isn't a rookie stacking Benjamin's person. Yeah. You know, this but, person's been drinking the Kool-Aid a long time. <laughs> But the math, I still think the math is going to be difficult. Well, just ask yourself a different question. That's what I would say is, what are you really trying to do? And if and if what you're really trying to do is, I got to park half a million so that I can turn it into three quarters of a million so that I can build my vacation house in this perfect area. Well, hell, just take your half a million, park it somewhere else, wait for it to go up and then do what you want to do anyway. Thanks for the question, AJ. If you've got a question for us, head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. And not only will we answer your question, but we are uh, having Gertrude send out a greatest money show on earth circus t-shirt to AJ. So I think AJ may already have one. Now she can get one for her husband. So they both have one. Or if it were Cheryl in this case, she'd just have two and I'd have none. But that's the way it works here at my house. All right, that's going to do it for today. Hey, big thanks to everybody for hanging out with us today, spending another fun episode with us. Thanks to everybody who's left us a review of this show. Also, as we mentioned on Monday, June 17th, put that on your calendar. We are doing a live event on YouTube at our YouTube channel. Go sign up for the Stacking Benjamins uh, YouTube channel. Just go to youtube.com forward slash Stacking Benjamins to get there. And what we're doing on the 17th is a... Two-hour Restacking Your Benjamins presentation. We announced on Monday that Fidelity Investments are going to be with us. Let me tell you who else is going to be with us. Morningstar. We talked a lot about Morningstar today. Morningstar, the third-party rating service on on investments, will also be joining us. Those are two of the four firms. We'll keep telling you more as we get closer who's with us. But I hope you can join us 7 to 9 o'clock Eastern on our Facebook page. Lastly, if you're looking for better help in your corner, not just a couple hours on a YouTube video, you really need to upgrade your team. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash OG because he and his team are taking clients and that will lead you to his calendar. And then you can see how you can upgrade your team. 
All right, that's going to do it for today. Doug, you got it from here, man. What should we have learned today? Ah, sure, Joe. Looks like I got to clean up for you too, huh? Okay. First, take a lesson from our headline. Investing in index funds? Remember, they're self-cleaning, but still make sure you're using the right index to reach your goals. Second, take a lesson from our 25 ways to fix your 401k. Looking for your best fix? Invest like it's a Chicago election. Save early and often for best results. But the big takeaway? I just realized Joe's mom's trying to drive me away with chores. Ha! Good try, lady. You and I both know that now that I'm on to you, all those chores are getting done. You can't get rid of me that easy. Bring those ugly feet over here, woman. I'm going to get right to work on them. This show is created by Joe Saul Cihai, produced by Taylor Stevens, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm wondering if KY Jelly is actually made in Kentucky. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remunerations. That's a big word. There's no way you take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. And before making any financial decisions, consult with a real financial advisor. Big apologies to Joe's mom. I just realized that when you compare her feet to a Gila monster, they're quite beautiful. She somehow still doesn't see that as a compliment, though. Some people... Got any uh, TV? Tell me about the Grant series. Yeah, I thought that, man, I hope people can go back and watch that because I thought that that was, I've finished two recent shows on completely different parts of history. Uh, the Grant series I thought was fantastic. And I saw a, a piece ripping it because the fact they use actors instead of just. As opposed to the real people. Yeah, and so, yeah <laughs> right, right. Well, instead of just, you know, like the Ken Burns thing where they just show uh, photos, you know. Right, right. Um, but, but I really liked having the actors. I thought that it kind of brought it alive. I, I, I got to tell I you. I made a total mistake with this, by the way. I did it on my phone to like record it and it didn't record. Oh, well, I hope you so, can go back and watch it. I can, I, it's got to be right. It's got to be on History Channel online or something. Yeah. And if you can also go back and watch the one on Washington that was uh, back in February, also incredibly good. Both of those really good. I will say this, man, the History Channel has a ton of advertisements. So it's about uh, 60 minutes worth of good stuff presented over two hours. I felt like we were always on a commercial, but, um, but besides that, that was really good. Way fewer commercials on FX on Hulu. I watched uh, the story of uh, the ERA, Mrs. America, starring Kate Blanchett. I got to tell you, man, Kate Blanchett as uh, Phyllis Schlafly, she can bring it. Rose Byrne played uh, Gloria Steinem. And uh, just a Tracy Allman is in this. Uh, and I didn't know anything about the history of the ERA and uh, showing just all sides of that. It, it, it was made, my understanding is it was made by the same people who did Mad Men and a lot of the period dress that people used and the way that they talk. I thought it was Mrs. America was also really good. So Grant, Mrs. America, two historical things that, um, that I, Cheryl and I really enjoyed. Well, sure. I mean, think about it this way. If you said, how much risk would you like to take on your next airplane ride? Zero. But you're doing some. You know what I mean? Like, you're, you, you've got some sort of risk in everything that you do. But... That's a chatterbox. Did you hear that thing? It landed right by my window. Holy crap. Know?
give me a how do you do? Hey, uh, tell me more about that 401k <laughs> planning stuff you're talking about. I want to I want end on this conversation. Yeah. Hey, OG, put that as a snippet at the end of the uh, after uh, show. My name is OG. You're talking about Steve. Oh, Steve. Oh, no, I'm telling you to tell Steve. Oh, hey, Steve, the- <laughs> could you uh, take that and put it as a snippet at the end? According to Joe, that's what you wanted. Thank you. I may not know that. Much better. Uh, what the hell were we talking about? Well, stackers, the show is over, but the party is just beginning here. You know why? Because it's Military Appreciation Month, and we are giving out shout-outs to all of our friends who have served in the military. And let's point uh, the finger right here at our good friend OG, who spent time in the military. And of course, we know what a giver he is, even when he pretends like he's being uh, Mr. Surly. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members to help them reach their goals. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. They've got all kinds of resources on their site, like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. So much going on. Just head over to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate take a look at all the military appreciation month offers and their usual offers navy federal our members are the mission navy federal is insured by ncua equal housing lender